With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to Two Footed Podcast on Thursday, the 19th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or anything you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops on Etsy. Right, folks, full disclosure, recording this on Monday ahead of Tuesday. Life is in the way again, but uh, trying to get the content done for you. So recording this Monday with Mr. Drinkle in the background. That's why I will not be talking about Crystal Palace versus Arsenal, which will have been last night as you're listening to this. Um, So just to get that out of the way. So what I wanted to talk about is managerial situations at certain Premier League clubs because, well, there's just some comedy taking place. If we look at the odds for the next manager to be sacked in the Premier League, The top four make interesting reading. In fourth place, Brendan Rodgers. Now, I had said, I do think there's big pressure on him this season after failure at the end of last season in the league, failure at the end of the season before. They really should have been a top four team both years. You look at the team they have. You look at how the big six clubs have performed. There's always been at least three of them having a bad time of it. And Leicester had opportunities to jump in and get a top four finish. Last season, Liverpool were a train wreck for the second half of the season up until the last 10 games because of injuries to centre-backs. Chelsea were a train wreck under Lampard and really, really should 
not have finished top four. They were 10th or 12th when Tuchel took over. It was a great opportunity for Leicester. And they threw it away. The year before, they were like 97% likely to finish in the top three when football came back after COVID. United and, and Chelsea were poor most of the season. And yet Leicester somehow not only failed to finish third, failed to finish in the top four. There was 0.9% of them missing top four when football came back, according to 538's probability predictor. So there's no other way to look at it. They are failures. They spent big this summer. They didn't sell anybody. They backed him as much as they possibly could. And I think he's got a mandate of get top four this year. But Liverpool are back to normal. United strengthened in the summer. Chelsea are better now with Tuchel for a full season. City obviously are City. You do wonder if the window has closed. And obviously they've had this bad start. You combine that with how dreadful he's been in Europe for them and for everybody else. And you do wonder if maybe he's kind of hit the limit of where he can get that team. If maybe he's pushing against the ceiling of what he's capable of with Leicester City. And they know they don't have a completely open-ended window with this group of players. Yuri Thielemans will want to move on. Will Fendidi will want to move on. We've already heard that James Madison might want to move on. Harvey Barnes, I know he signed a new contract, but you'd imagine he has ambitions to play in the Champions League. And if they're not getting there, the likes of Wes Fafana as well, Sayonchu, if he gets back to form, Ricardo Pereira, these are guys good enough to play in the Champions League. They're not going to be happy sitting on the sidelines watching Champions League take place and then turning out on a Thursday in the Europa League. I think there's pressure on Rodgers. I don't think there's any chance they'll sack him mid-season. I'll say that. I think the idea of him being that high is is silly. I think he could more likely come in at the end of the season and they might reach a mutual decision to move on from him. I think their hope might be that he would take interest in one of these other jobs that could come up. But I don't see a situation where they sack him mid-season. Uh, but I do think he's under pressure, as I think Dean Smith is under pressure, but Dean Smith is way further down this list. Uh, Nuno Espero Santo is actually in fifth on this list. I think he's much more likely to get fired than Rodgers. Now, they have won back-to-back games, and that's promising for Spurs. And Harry Kane looked much better at the weekend. But if things go badly, I do think Spurs might just move on from Nuno if they get an opportunity to do so. Hilariously, Claudio Ranieri, who's at one game in charge, is third on the list. Now, a lot of that is just the Watford factor. They change managers very, very frequently. But some of it is the Claudio factor. He's just not very good, and he does tend to change jobs quite a bit. The last time he was in the Premier League, he lasted four months. And this time, if things consider the way they went on Saturday, he may last even less. But the two names that stand out at the top. Now, surprisingly, Arteta is way, way down the list. Uh, you can currently get odds with Paddy Power of 40 to 1 on Arteta. That puts him below Bielsa, Hasenhutl, Laj, Vieira, Farka, Nuno, Brendan, Claudio, and the top two. And I think his job is far more likely 
to come under threat than that of Bielsa, Rogers, Farka, maybe Lage and Vieira, maybe just considering the club he's at. But these things are very reactionary. I mean, Sean Dyche is next on that list. He's not getting sacked. Dean Smith, 66 to 1. Benitez then, Potter, Frank. And then you're on to Tuchel, Guardiola and Klopp. Um, but the top two are on opposite ends of the table. Well, at least they were before this weekend. Uh, Steve Bruce is the most likely manager to get sacked. But we all know that's coming. He knows that's coming. It is going to happen. Steve Bruce is going to be fired. Uh, I've seen people suggest he should walk away. You walk away from $8 million. You're better off getting sacked and having your $8 million in your pocket than walking away out of some sort of principle and having no $8 million in your pocket. Always take the... If it's a choice between $8 million and no $8 million, always take the $8 million. Secure the bag is my... Advice to Steve Bruce. Make them pay you to go away. Um, yeah, look, he is going to get sacked. And then it's going to be interesting in terms of who else comes in. Now, the long shot name of the week is Hodgson. Uh, I believe you can get odds of 40 to 1. Um, as funny as that would be, Newcastle fans despite some of their behaviour over the last week, don't deserve that. Uh, so the real names that are on, that are being discussed or, or that are, are being linked. Frank Lampard is currently the bookies' favourites for, or with, at least with a couple of outlets that I've looked at and that guys looked at. Um, Frank Lampard is the favourite. Now, there is nothing to suggest that Frank Lampard is a good manager. Nothing. Um, he did okay at Derby, but ultimately failed to get them promoted, uh, spent substantially on wages, was given good backing and ran away after one season to take the Chelsea job. At Chelsea, he took over a team that had finished third and won the Europa League and he brought them backwards. He was given credit for, I can only assume them not regressing as far as people thought they would regress. That's the only thing he really deserved credit for is that they didn't collapse entirely out of the top four. But they finished with less points, a position lower, and they didn't win anything, whereas the year before they'd won a Europa League. So he, he took Chelsea backwards. It, the only way to look at that. Um, I don't know why you would consider Frank Lampard. I really don't. Another name high on the list is Steven Gerrard. Now, he's done well at Rangers. He did very well last season, obviously. Went unbeaten. And I think everybody was ad ad admiring the, the football that was played. Uh, this season, they haven't started as well. But they're still top. They're one point ahead of, of Hearts. Three ahead of Dundee. And four ahead of Celtic who've made a very questionable start to the season, but new manager trying to sort a lot of a mess out there at, at, at Celtic. Um, Rangers should win the title comfortably this year, but Gerrard's European record has been overhyped. 
that's not really something Newcastle need to worry about at the moment, though it is more domestic. I would just say the Scottish Premiership is basically the equivalent of League One. Rangers and Celtic are, at the moment, well, at the moment, Rangers are a good championship team. Look up and down their team. There's maybe two Premier League players in that team. That's a championship team. Celtic is a championship team. Um, Hearts, I think, probably could play in the championship, but would be very much in a relegation scrap. And I think the rest of them are, are League One caliber teams. So it's a fair jump from Scottish Premiership to the Premier League for players and managers. Neil Lennon, in his first spell at Celtic, did really well. Won multiple league titles. The best job he could get in England was Bolton. He did better in Scotland than Gerrard has done. And the best job he could get was Bolton. I know Rodgers got the Leicester job, but he got that job based on what he'd done at Liverpool and Swansea, not on what he'd done at Celtic. I don't know that Gerrard is ready for the Premier League. He's a better manager than Lampard. But I don't think he's ready for the Premier League. I think he needs at least one more season at Rangers. And maybe he needs a championship job in the meantime. Before he gets a Premier League job. Lampard needs to go manage the championship. That is his level right now. So I would say to Newcastle, don't consider either of them. Let's go on to the real managers who've got real track records that we can actually dig into. So Fonseca is the top name on the list. He has obviously been at Roma. Um, Paolo Fonseca, I should say. He was at Roma. Before that, he was at Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, He's also managed Braga and Porto. So he's been at big clubs. He knows what it's about. At Porto, he won 56.7% of his games, finished second in the league. At Braga, he won over 50% and he won a cup. That's a very impressive spell at Braga. It was only one season, as it was only one season at Porto, but a very impressive spell. He went to Shakhtar, he won three league titles in a row and three cups in a row, won 74% of all his games was very, very impressive with Shakhtar. Got the Roman job and won 52% of his games, but it didn't always go to plan. He never seemed to be able to transfer the style of play that he had at at Shakhtar to Roma. Now, Italian football makes it hard. They were very free-flowing, very adventurous. But at the same time, you do feel like it was maybe at that point a step too far to go to Roma, who had real top four ambition. He maybe needed an in-between move. Maybe a, a top club in a, a non-top four league. Because let's be fair, France isn't really on the same level as England, Germany, Spain and Italy. The, the French league is not the same calibre as, as those. It, it's more in line with Portugal, you know. So maybe going back to Porto or to Benfica or to a good team in France would have been a better move before jumping to 
Serie A. But he's proven that he's a good manager. He's proven he can win things. He's proven he can handle expectation. And he plays a good style of football. There's, there's nobody could doubt his teams don't play good football. Everywhere he's been, his teams have scored plenty of goals. And when he gets it right, they don't concede a ton of goals. At Braga, they were just over a goal a game. But at Porto, below a goal a game. At Shakhtar, below a goal a game. He is a good manager who can do good things if given time. He very nearly became the Spurs manager in the summer. We don't quite know why he didn't get that job. We don't know what fell through. Allegedly, it was taxation issues. I don't know the extent of the Italian tax code, but who knows? All we know is it fell through and they ended up with Nuno. I, they would have been better off with Fonseca. But he's a really good option for Newcastle. Lucien Favre is next. Lucien Favre came very close to getting the Crystal Palace job in the summer. As with Fonseca and Spurs, Favre had terms agreed on a contract to join Crystal Palace. And for whatever reason, it fell through. Now, he's been at Hertha Berlin. He's been at Borussia Mönchengladbach. He's been at Nice and he's been at Borussia Dortmund. So again, he's managed big clubs. He's dealt with expectation. He's also done really well in turning clubs around at times. You look at when he took over at Borussia Mönchengladbach. They were struggling in the bottom half of the table, potentially headed for relegation, and he turned things around very quickly. He's had some success. You know, he's won he's won a couple of cups uh, in Switzerland with Zurich. But he would be a good manager to come in on a short-term deal. If he wanted someone just to come in, improve things in the next 18 months, get Newcastle to a, I don't know, 14th place kind of footing, and then move on. I think that's where Lucien Favre would be the guy. I'm not a big fan. I think he I think he overthinks things a little bit. I don't think he's demanding enough of his players at times. I think he's a little bit too passive in how his teams play. There's not enough aggression in the style. Lucien Favre wouldn't be one for me. Certainly a better pick than Gerrard or Lampard. But I wouldn't go for him if I was Newcastle. I don't think, unless you want him as a really short-term thing, I don't think he's the type. I think Fonseca is a much better appointment. Fonseca, for me, can get you to top seven. He'll get you into Europe. You give him the money to spend. You give him time. I think tactically he's good enough. He'll need to buy in January, but that's the same for any manager. I think Fonseca is a better pick than him. The next name is Antonio Conte. There's part of me that thinks just fill a, fill a lurry full of money and just offer it to him. There's part of me that thinks it's too early. Fonseca, then Conte is probably a better way. Or whoever, then Conte. Or maybe you have two managers and then Conte. He's the guy you want when you're in a position to win the league. When you're in a position to become a real force. 
he's not the guy to build with. He could. There's no doubting he's good enough. But he's so demanding that he may just find the mundane, you know, mid-table scrap and then the next season you go again and you end up in ninth and then the following season. He might not enjoy that too much and it might lead to him having some sort of coronary event. Um, Eddie Howe is an interesting one. Plays a good style of football, obviously. Never been particularly good as a defensive coach, but has done well in the Premier League with Brent, with, with um, Bournemouth. Obviously has a decent um, a decent track record in the league. He's the type of players, type of manager that players seem to enjoy playing for. I think if you keep Graham Jones in charge, him and Jones actually have some interesting links in that Burnley almost appointed Jones to replace Eddie Howe when Howe left Burnley to go back to Bournemouth. He tried to bring Jones to Bournemouth with him and then he ended up with Bournemouth under Jason uh, Tyndall when Tyndall took over from, from Howe. I think Eddie Howe could make sense here. I'm not sure how he will do in a relegation scrap because the last one he was in didn't go very well. I think you can't give him control of transfers because he tends to buy very badly. But he is a good coach. He does play a good style of football. He does improve players. And as I said, players seem to like to play for him. Graham Jones another option. He's already there. He's worked with the players. They do seem to like him. Is that more of the same? Like, he's obviously not Bruce, but is it the same voices? Is it, is it going to have the desired effect of turning around a team that are second from bottom? Zinedine Zidane's name has been tossed around. I don't think he'd have any interest in that job. Unai Emery's name is going around. He's obviously very comfortable at Villarreal. He won the Europa League last season. I don't know that he would want to leave. But he's the type of manager who could make sense. As that, you know, first guy who'll stabilise you. He'll definitely keep you in the division. Good enough tactically. Style of football's not great. But he'll pick up results. He'll pick up points along the way. Um, he, you'll have a good home record and probably a fairly mediocre away record. You won't score a ton, but you won't concede many either. I think Fonseca is the one who makes the most sense because he's available. The style of play works. He's been at big clubs. How would be second on my list? Again, he's available. He can come in and start straight away. You have a little bit of familiarity there with you know, some of the coaching staff. He's obviously worked with Callum Wilson before. So he'd immediately have somebody he trusts in the dressing room. And I think Wilson would speak highly of him, considering what Howe did for him at Bournemouth. Newcastle need to spend in January, but they need to spend smart. And I think the bigger issue for them is, who's making the decisions off the field? Who's going to make those decisions in January? Are you going to have your director of football in place? 
If so, is he bringing an entirely new recruitment team? Or are you giving him the recruitment team you have now? Or is that going to be a transition? Will he work with this lot for now and then a different lot will come in after January? Because those are things that need to be considered. Newcastle have to make these decisions and make them quickly. They've got to get things set up in line so that when January 1st comes, they can attack that transfer window and go and get the players they need. I've spoken before about James Tarkovsky. I think he'd be an important signing for them. You're going to need to solidify that defence. It's a mess. You'd be happy with their goalkeeping situation. Dubravka's good. Darlow's good. Woodman is good. At right back, you've got Kraft and Mankiel. They're not for everybody, but they're both decent. I don't understand what Jamal Lewis has done wrong, but Steve Bruce has exiled him from the first team. He should be the starting left back. And I think a real manager installs him as the starting left back day one. And he is a good defender. In the middle, Fernandez isn't great. Dummett's not great. Clark's not great. Lachelle's is good, but he's not what he was. He is regressing a bit. But maybe you get him a Tarkovsky next to him. And that pairing could work. Maybe that's enough to get you through the end of the season. Crafter Mankio, Tarkovsky, Lachelles, Lewis. Maybe that's enough. I think ideally you would like two centre-backs, but then trying to put two centre-backs in at the same time can sometimes be a little bit problematic. Now, who would the second one be? I like Tolson. At Fulham, thought he was good for, for Fulham last year in the Premier League. I think he's got a £10 million buyout in his contract. He's 23, 24, great in the air, quick, agile, reads the game fairly well. Needs that more experienced voice next to him, which is what you get with Tarkovsky. But those two, and then you've got Lachelle's, Fernandez, uh, Shar, etc. as depth. I think that's not bad. I think you can get Tarkovsky for maybe 15 to 18 million in January. He'd only have a few months left in his contract, but I still think Burnley will hold out for a decent fee. You can afford to pay it, go and pay it. Bring in Tolson. I think that's your defence. Good enough to at least get you to the summer and keep you in the division. You could, And you go in, in the summer and you buy a right back. If you're not happy with what you have, you buy that then. Your left-back is fine. Your centre-backs will be fine. Move forward. In midfield, Hayden's a good holding midfielder. Willock is good box-to-box. But what else do you have? Shelby's a good sitting midfielder. He's a decent pass to the ball. Longstaff, neither of them, neither Longstaff has developed the way you would hope they would have. So you're going to need to bring in one in midfield. And I think you're going to need to bring in somebody somebody in midfield that can give you a foothold in a game. Someone capable of putting their foot on the ball and dictating a game. Someone that can allow you to have possession of a football. Because too often we see Newcastle win the ball back and just not have that ability to keep the ball. I think that's something they have to address. Who that would be, I don't know. I'm not going to throw out any names. 
But I think that's something they'll have to look at in, in the January window. And they need someone else in attack. St. Maximum is great. Wilson will get you goals, but has injury issues. Almiron is inconsistent. Jolington is Jolington. I think you've got to get one more in attack. I think you really have to find one more who can score you a goal and create opportunities so that the entire attack doesn't have to run through Alan St. Maximum. Because if it does, you become so predictable and so easy to play against. And you look at the Premier League table, would Chelsea be willing to send you a Callum Hudson-Odoi? Could you go and buy a Christian Pulisic off them or even a Hakim Zayic who might just help in the short term? Would Manchester United be willing to give you Donny van de Beek? You'd probably have to overpay, but you're going to have to overpay for probably everybody you buy anyway. Those type of players, I think, could make a massive improvement for Newcastle. You even look into the championship and look at some of the clubs that went down last year um, and how they're doing. Now, I know Bournemouth are top, but could Bournemouth be convinced to sell one or two players? Probably. Probably they could. Philip Billing would be a good player to bring in. Maybe a Solanke up front. Lloyd Kelly could help at the back. Sheffield United obviously went down. They're not having as good a season. Could Sander Berger be an option for midfield? I've already stolen Tolson from Fulham, so we leave him there. Um, West Brom, they went down. Carlin Grant hasn't been great for them, but he's the type of guy who'll get you a goal. Callum Roberts, Robinson's in unbelievable form, but I don't think um, I don't think he's what you need. Grady Diangana, though, P pace, good wide option, works really hard. Not going to lumber you with huge wages. You could move him on in a couple of years and, and make your money back. I think they've got to be smart. I keep seeing names linked with Newcastle like Coutinho and Isco. And uh, I just think those are the worst possible signings they could make. Especially considering where they are. And where they are is second from bottom. And I do think there's a, there's a real possibility that they could go down this year. If they get the managerial appointment wrong, like if they go for Lampard, I genuinely think they could go down. I really do think that's in play. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the other manager who's very much on the hot seat. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, the other manager who is currently very much on the hot seat is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. 
Now, David Ornstein has come out and reported that United are 100% behind him, that his job is not currently under threat. But surely they are looking at alternatives. If they're not, that's a dereliction of duty. Because let's all be fair here. When Ollie took the job as caretaker, everybody thought that's just the short-term thing and they will go and get somebody else. He did really well as caretaker. Of that, there can be no doubt. You cannot deny he had a really good run as caretaker manager. But since then, it has not been good enough. It really has not been good enough since then. Manchester United are... They're a poor team filled with stars who are good enough to overcome poor team performances and win them games. And Ollie has very much relied on that individual brilliance of certain players, largely Bruno Fernando, uh, Fernandez rather, um, to keep him safe in his job. If you watch United play, as we all do regularly, I'm sure, they're, they're really, really ugly to watch. There's no discernible style about how they play. There's no defined patterns of play. There's no structure to how they, how they operate. And defensively, they're a calamity waiting to happen. They rely on David De Gea far too often. We see desperation defending all over the place. We see half the defensive line playing high. We'll do the half plays deep. It doesn't really fit together all that well with what else they have. Now, people say, but Ollie is from the United way and he's fr- he understands what United's about. And that's, that's great. That is outstanding. Fantastic. Well done. But, I don't really know what any of that means because I watch United play and they don't look like a United team. They don't look like the teams that we saw under Ferguson in any way, shape or form. They look like the Moyes teams. They look like the Mourinho teams with a little bit more individual brilliance that gets them over the line. But they don't look good. They don't look good at all. He took over on the 19th of December as caretaker. And he was caretaker manager up until the 28th of March when he was made permanent manager. And in that time, they had a very good run. They lost only one game in the league. That was away to Arsenal. Uh, They had two draws, home to Burnley, home to Liverpool. They beat Cardiff, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Tottenham, Brighton, Fulham, Leicester, Crystal Palace, and Southampton. Then he got made permanent manager. They beat Watford. They lost to Wolves. They beat West Ham. They lost to Everton, lost to City, drew with Chelsea, drew with Huddersfield, and drew with Cardiff. As soon as he got the job, they fell off a cliff. And what looked like a team that was definitely going to finish top four ended up finishing sixth. In the FA Cup, um, he oversaw wins over Reading, Arsenal, Chelsea, and lost to Wolves. Now, that was before he got made permanent manager. 
In the Champions League, they had finished second in the group under Mourinho. Oli takes over. They somehow get by Paris Saint-Germain. It, one of the most bizarre games I've ever seen is that second leg in Paris, where United, who were 2-0 down from the first leg, win 3-1 with that late Rashford penalty after the weird handball. Uh, they get comfortably beaten by Barcelona 4-0 on, um, on aggregate. But they'd been really good under him in the interim spell. And when he got the job permanently, and by the way, the Barcelona games came after he got the job permanently. The PSG ones were while he was caretaker. Once he got the permanent job, they fell off a cliff. He lost three games while caretaker manager for four months. And in the two months between when he got the permanent job and the end of the season, they lost seven games. They won only two games in two months. They went out that summer. They spent big. They brought in Dan James, Juan Bissaka, Maguire. Went big again in January, brought in Bruno. Huge spending. And to an extent, he delivered. They got third. But let's not pretend they were ever close to competing. They finished 33 points behind Liverpool, who won the league. 15 points behind Manchester City in second. They finished with the same amount of points they had the year before, 66. They didn't get better. The league got worse. Chelsea regressed. Arsenal regressed. Spurs regressed. They didn't get better. They stayed the same. The league got worse. They went out of the FA Cup at the semi-final stage. They went out of the uh, League Cup at the semi-final stage. They went out. They went through the Euro Europa League, got through top of an easy group, and lost the semi-final against Sevilla. Now they will point to that and say, "Well, that overall is a better season," and, and that's fair enough if that's the argument you want to make. That's fine. Last summer, again, they went big enough. They brought in uh, Danny Van, Donny Van de Beek, Alex Tellez, Cavani. Ahmed Diallo was big money. Um, and they finished second. Credit to them. They finished second. In a season where Liverpool lost all centre-backs for most of the season and had injuries everywhere else. In a season where Chelsea were 12th or 10th or whatever it was in late January by the time they finally sacked Lampard. In that season, they finished Second, uh, they finished with eight points more than they had the previous season, but still 12 points off City. Um, City would win the league, United would finish second, but at no point did United appear like they were going to challenge for the title. At no point did it look like they had any hope of challenging for the title. They went into second on the 27th of January and stayed there and never threatened to 
go anywhere else other than that. They got knocked out of the Champions League in the group stage. Very, very disappointing. Went into the Europa League, got to the final and lost in a really disappointing performance. Um, they got knocked out in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, the semi-final of the League Cup. It was very much the same as the season before. And they've gone out this past summer, and again, they've spent massively to back this manager. They've brought in Jadon Sancho. They've brought in Rafael Varane. And they've brought in Cristiano Ronaldo. So you look at the team that he's put together. Juan Bissaka, Varane and Maguire. There's three quarters of your of your defence. Um, he's brought in Alex Tellez. There's a left back. Um, he's brought in Bruno and Danny, Donny van de Beek in midfield. Uh, the problem being they play the same position. And he doesn't trust them to play together or hasn't played them together. So that's an issue. Uh, another issue in the defence is that it's not very well balanced. And Varane and Juan Basaka and even Alex Tellez all like to play a high line, as does Luke Shaw. Uh, but Maguire can't play a high line. They have not addressed their holding midfield or central midfield positions. They bought two number 10s. They brought in a couple of old number nines, neither of whom are offering a whole lot in the build-up play. Cavani is a lot better in that regard than Cristiano, but is still not an elite-level player in that regard. Not anymore. He was back in his prime. And when he has his 15- and 20-minute sub-appearances, he can do it then, but not as a starter. They brought in Sancho, uh, to ostensibly play on the wings. The problem is you had Greenwood and Diallo uh, for the right wing. You had Rashford and Pogba, who you can't play in midfield, on the left wing. So which position did you buy Jaden Sancho to play in? Right wing to block the path of Greenwood and Diallo. Left wing to mean that 89 million Pogba can't play and that Marcus Rashford can't play. Because they, they, Rashford and Greenwood can't play up front now because you brought in Cristiano. Uh, you've also got Anthony Martial to consider here. So you've basically got a logjam in the wide positions. He hasn't yet figured out who his best tandem is. One of the issues with Sancho is that when Sancho's been at his best, it's been with an attacking fullback that he can link with. United have Juan Basaka at right back, who's atrocious going forward. Luke Shaw is okay going forward, but he's he's more of a defensive left back at this point. Um, when he was younger, he was very much an attacking fullback. But as he's gotten older and a little heavier, and he's had the bad ankle injury, he's become more of a defensive left back. Good support player in attack can overlap quite well at times, but you're not going to run your attack through Luke Shaw the way, say, Dortmund did with Guerrero or that you could with Alex Tellez. If you really wanted to get the best out of Sancho, you'd be playing Alex Tellez at left-back. That would unfortunately mean, though, that Luke Shaw can't play. So that's an issue as well. Um, to play him at right-back, well, you just don't have a right... Or play him at right... Play Sancho on the right wing, you don't really have a right-back that works because 
well, like I said, Juan Bissaka is awful going forward. And Diego, Diogo Delot is okay going forward, but you're not really going to want him in your team. And if you do, you're saying that the £50 million right back you bought, you insisted on, isn't good enough. So issues on the flanks. Issue up front is that Cristiano is incredibly lazy off the ball, doesn't run, doesn't press, only runs when he's making a run to get into space to demand the ball. That means that when you're playing you, and you don't have the ball, you have 10 men. Because he's standing around. When you have Pogba in the team, as they had at the weekend, as they've had most of the season, you have nine men when the opposition have the ball. Because neither of them put in any effort off the ball. So that's the problem. Another problem is that Cristiano does not make other players around him better. In fact, there is a pattern throughout his career of him making other players worse, especially other attacking players. Bruno is still playing well, but he knows Cristiano well enough to know what to do. But if you look at Bruno for Portugal, Bruno has never really thrived for Portugal. And a big part of that is Cristiano. So there's, there's an issue. Centre midfield is a massive issue. Uh, Ollie loves McFred, and it's a mess. It's not a good pairing. It's a mid-table pairing at best. Matic can't play anymore. Just can't run. You could maybe get away with him in a three, not in a two. Pogba can't be trusted in central midfield, certainly not in a two, maybe in a three. The problem is you can't play a three with Bruno and Pogba as two of the three. And therein lies United's problem. Ollie's playing 4-2-3-1 because he thinks it's the best way of getting as many of his good players on the pitch as possible. The issue is they don't have a midfield pairing to play 4-2-3-1. They maybe have a midfield to play 4-3-3, you could go Bruno, McTominay and Fred as a flat three. Bruno has played in that role before for Sporting was excellent. And up front, you'd go Greenwood on the right, Cristiano and Rashford or Sancho. But then you're not playing Rashford or Sancho and you can't put Pogba in the team who cost £89 million. Uh, It also means that your fullbacks are going to be relied on to provide width. And, well, Wan-Bissak is awful and you can't really run things through Luke Shaw. When you do play 4-3-3 and push your full-backs high, you expose your centre-backs. That then becomes a problem because Harry Maguire has no pace and can't cover a cross. So there's another problem. Another issue with the current 4-2-3-1, with the lack of central midfield pairing, is you've got no one to shield in front of Maguire. Which means Maguire will often get dragged out of position and he's not quick enough to recover and get back into place. So there's a problem. Could you play a back three? Well, not really. You don't really have a right wing back. And when you play back threes, you generally tend to either not use wingers or use them as really narrow forwards. And when you're playing Sancho or Rashford as a narrow forward, you'll want Rashford and not Sancho, who cost you 75 million and now can't get in your team. So... I've heard Gary Neville talk about how United are building something. And I look at the pieces and I don't really know what it is that they're building. I can see a world in which it works. But it would mean getting rid of Cristiano, getting rid of Paul Pogba. Because I could see Rashford as a nine. 
Greenwood off the right, Sancho off the left, and Bruno as a 10, I could see that working. If you bought a central midfield pairing, that could work. You'd have to improve your right back as well. And because Sancho needs that full back to interplay with him, you're then exposing Maguire. So again, it doesn't really work. None of the pieces really fit together all that well. And that's the biggest issue for United, is that they've bought, they've bought badly. They've bought names of players. They've bought players by rep, rep, reputation rather than what they can bring to the team. They haven't really planned it out. Juan Bissaka had one season with Crystal Palace, where he showed himself to be a very good 1v1 defender and nothing else. And United deemed that worthy of 50 million. Harry Maguire had a good World Cup. United deemed that worthy of 50 million. Sorry, 80 million. And, and didn't really bother to think of, well, how will this work for us at our team? It's not just an Ollie problem. It goes back to Pogba. They bought Pogba because he was out there and they wanted to make a splash. Sancho, I, I, I just don't understand why they were so adamant that they needed him. Going into the summer, it was very clear that what United needed was a central defender, which they got in Varane, a holding midfielder, which they didn't get, and then someone to play next to that holding midfielder, and also a right-back. They didn't get the right-back, didn't get either of the midfielders. They went all in on Sancho, and it hasn't worked. That money could have got you Wilf and Didi, and while it wouldn't be ideal, a Wilf and Didi Fred or Wilf and Didi Van de Beek partnership could work. You could rotate Fred and Donny van der Beek depending on who you're playing. You could also play McTominay in some games. In some games, you could go with a diamond midfield and play McTominay and Fred in the engine and Didi deep as Bruno up as the 10 and two up front. And that, I think, could work. But United have planned so badly. And, you know, look, they sacked Moyes seven months into a six-year contract. They sacked Van Hal when he had a year left on his deal, and he'd done quite well in that second season. They sacked Mourinho months after giving him a new contract. It would be a really bad look to sack Oli months after he signed a new deal. But there doesn't really seem to be much of an alternative, because tactically he's not good enough. He's now been in the job almost three years and United still don't have a discernible style of play, pattern of play, structure. Defensively, they look all over the place. There's nothing in midfield. And up front, it just doesn't work. All the talk of building long-term view went out the window the minute Cristiano became available. And while he has scored some goals... The guy has not played well. And all five of his goals have come from goalkeeper errors thus far. All five of them. Goalkeeper errors. He's not offering enough to warrant a place in the team. On or off the ball. He's not offering anything in the build-up play. He's hopeless off the ball. If you were playing two up front, I could understand you know, having him there as a tap-in merchant. And having someone else do the donkey work. But you can't play that way. Because to play two up top. The only way you can get Bruno into the team. 
is to go to a, a diamond in midfield, and that rules out all your wingers. And you're not going to ask Greenwood or Rashford or Martial to do the donkey work. So it's going to be Cavani and Cristiano, and then Sancho, Greenwood, and Rashford and Martial all sat on the bench. The guys you were meant to be building around. United are still three players away from being a real threat. And they're a manager away from being a real threat. But can they give that manager this whole season and then back him again next summer and then hope for the best? Because it kind of feels like they could buy NDD and Telemans, who, domi- who are dominant midfield players, and Telemans ran amok against them at the weekend. But it feels like they could put those two in. Or, you know, NDD and Neves. Or Rice and Telemans. Or whatever pairing you want to come up with. It feels like you could put them in. You could put in a Max Aarons at right back. And, you know, it still wouldn't work because Ollie's just not good enough. Ollie just isn't good enough. He doesn't set his team up well enough. United's best results have always come in games they're expected to lose when he's able to park the bus and hit teams on the counter-attack. That's, that's his only real tactical plan. When United are given the ball, when teams say to United, you come and beat us, they can't do it. Unless Bruno bangs one in from 35 yards or Rashford does something or Greenwood does something. Little to none of it comes from United. And we see the names going around as potential replacements. Brendan Rodgers' name has been out there. and I, I could see it. I could see him going there. He, I think he'd take that job. I don't know that they'd approach him, but I could see him going there. Um... He's worked with Maguire. I think he'd enjoy working with all that attacking talent. But again, there'd still be no midfield. Pochettino's been linked with United for years, and I think he could make sense. But is he a top manager? We don't know. I mean, he, he hasn't really impressed the PSG so far. Eric Ten Hag and Nagelsmann. I don't know why his name's been floated around. He's just gotten a job. Uh, I would take him out. But Ten Hag and Potter, uh, Thomas Frank... Laurent Blanc, those are the names going around. Lupetegui of Sevilla could be a really interesting one. Uh, the funniest name doing the rounds is Gareth Southgate. And that could be an interesting uh, social experiment to just see how, how badly that could go wrong. The two big names are Conte and Zidane. And I saw Miguel Delaney say that United have the squad. Conte could be the manager. And it got me thinking, well, do they have the squad? So how is he going to line up? Well, Conte plays 3-5-2. So he's going to have De Gea in goal. He's going to want a back three. So what's your back three? Well, your three best centre-backs are Lindelof, Varane and Maguire. Is that a good back three? It looks like it might be painfully slow in wide areas to me. You want wing-backs then. So who are your full-backs? Wan-Bissaka and Shaw. Really happy with either of them as as wing-backs? Because I would have said in a back three, both of them make more sense as the flanking centre-backs. So Wan-Bissaka, Varane and Shaw. And that's a much better back three than Lindelof, Varane and Maguire. The issue is your club captain, your £80 million centre-back, isn't in that group. Um... Alex Tellez is definitely a better wing-back than Luke Shaw. Not as good a full-back, admittedly, but a better wing-back. More naturally attack-minded, and that's ideal. He'd be a really good fit there. Who's your right wing-back, though? 
Is it Delot? He's not good enough. Um, would you stick McTominay there? I don't think anyone would think that would be an ideal situation. So you still need to buy someone there. Um, and then what else have you got? Well, in midfield, you've got McTominay, Fred, and Bruno as your three. Because he, he's going to want two defensive-minded players and one that he'll give a bit of freedom to. One that he'll give the kind of Ericsson role from last season. Or you know that bit of freedom to, to, to go and do more attack-minded things. That'll be Bruno. That means Paul Pogba can't play. Means Donny van de Beek can't play. Means Fred and McTominay have to. And again, they're not good enough. So now across your five-man midfield, you have three players who very clearly aren't good enough and not fit for purpose. And up front, you're going to have Cristiano plus one of Rashford or Greenwood or Cavani or Martial. There's no place for Sancho. And three of the others are going to have to sit out. Not a problem if it's Cavani, he's not part of your future. Big problem if you go with Martial and Rashford and Greenwood are sitting watching. Uh, also no place in this new team for Ahmed Diallo, who's incredibly gifted and you spent $35 million on um, to buy, bring from Atalanta before he played more than five Serie A games. Um, so that's not a bad team. It's, it's a fourth place team. De Gea, Juan Bissaka, uh, Varane, Shaw, Delos, Bruno, McTominay, Fred, Tellez, Cristiano, and let's just say Rashford. That's a fourth place team. But but you've no Sancho, no Greenwood, no Pogba, no Maguire. So a lot of expensive mistakes and two of your best young players not getting games. There's no place in a Conte team for um, a Jaden Sancho. So it makes him worthless. You might as well sell him. Now, people will say, oh, but he had Pogba at, at Juve and made it work. He, he did, but let's, let's recap. He had him at Juve for two years. He had a young Paul Pogba. Not the current Paul Pogba. He had the Paul Pogba with a point to prove, coming off Manchester United, supposedly deeming him not good enough. The first season, he was largely just a squad player, 27 appearances in the league, less than half of them starts. The second season, he started a lot more, but he was starting along with Vidal and Marquisio in a lot of games. Oftentimes, obviously, Pirlo plus one of them. He was asked to do and did a lot of donkey work. He wasn't given any real freedom. This was Paul Pogba before the the real sort of emergence of Paul Pogba as a top-class player. Very, very promising, obviously, but not a top-class player. Didn't become that elite-level midfielder until Allegri took over. And then when he joined United, he had obviously grown in confidence and believed that he could just do what he wanted. And he hasn't really tried at United. You can't ask Paul Pogba to erase the last seven years and go back to being the player he was in 13-14. You can't. But you also don't have the players to go with him to enable that. You don't have a Vidal. You don't have a Marquisio. You don't have a Pirlo. You've got Bruno, great. But remember, Pogba was also in that setup, especially when playing with Pirlo plus one of the others, 
Pogba would be the most attacking of the midfield three. And when it was Pogba with Marquisio and Vidal, he didn't have to, he was still the most, uh, given the most freedom of the three. He didn't have a Bruno. He didn't have someone being in the positions he wants to be in. Conte doesn't really work with this group of players. Now, Zidane possibly does. Zidane largely would play a 4-3-3. United don't have a Modric or a Cruz or a Modric and Cruz, but, you know, you have a Bruno, you have a, a Donny van de Beek. You could probably get away with that in a midfield three if you bought the right holding midfielder. So, whereas with Conte, you definitely need to buy three players. And there's not enough room for some of the players that you would deem really important. With Zidane, you probably need to buy one. He'd probably get by with Wan-Bissaka right back. Shaw, the two centre-backs, as are. He'd probably do with that. Give him that holding midfielder play. Bruno and Van de Beek, and then go Greenwood, Cristiano and Sancho. Greenwood, Cristiano, Rashford up front. Greenwood, Rashford, Sancho potentially as well. I think Zidane works better with that group. Now, obviously there's no mention of Paul Pogba in that midfield. If there is a manager, I think, who could get to Pogba, and maybe get some buy-in, and maybe be able to use him in a three with Bruno instead of Van de Beek, and also with Van de Beek, so you could go Pogba holding midfielder Van de Beek. I do think it is Zidane, because Pogba idolises Zidane. Zidane carries so much mystique and so much idolisation from French players. I do think he could get through to Pogba. He's also managed Cristiano. He's dealt with that ego before. He knows Ferran obviously really well for having managed him and obviously the French connection too. So I think for, Z for Zidane, who's not as demanding and does know how to work better with egos and maybe cares more about players' egos, I think he's a much better fit. Conte doesn't care about your ego. Conte cares about Conte and wants you to dance to the beat of his drum. Zidane will come in and arrange the orchestra to your set tune and he will eventually integrate you into it and make it work. Conte won't. I think Zidane is the better fit for United. Now, I don't know if he's a good enough tactician. We, he's obviously won three European Cups, so he can't be bad. I think he's better than people give him credit for. But he's not. I don't think he's an elite tactician. Uh, he is an elite man-manager. He's very, very good at working the room. He played with the biggest egos. He knows how they work. I think Zidane is the one who makes the most sense for United. I think he's the one that could reach Pogba. He knows Varane. He's got a relationship with Cristiano that I think he can use to his advantage. He might get more out of Cristiano off the ball than what Oli was able to do. So I think if United are going to replace Oli, of the names out there, I think Zidane is the one who probably makes the most sense and also requires the least 
investment. Now, I, I'm not saying that that team wins a title, but I think it's capable of challenging. I do think it's capable of challenging. Uh, we'll wrap up with some gossip from the previous few days, uh, and we'll get out of here on that. Uh, Barcelona are unlikely to pursue Paul Pogba when the France midfielder's contract expires if they cannot afford his wages. That makes sense. That's a good move from Barcelona. Stop signing over overpaid players. Focus in on building through the youth, bringing through the next Ansu Fati and finding the next Pedri from other clubs around Spain. That's what your mission should be for the next three years. Clear the debt and just get through and come out the other side with a team ready to compete with a couple of additions. Uh, Chelsea and England midfielder Ross Barkley interest Burnley as they make plans for January. I don't really see that. I don't know how he'd fit in their team. Um, Paris Saint-Germain will target either Robert Lewandowski or, or Erling Haaland as a replacement for Kylian Mbappe. I could see them getting Haaland, maybe, but I do think he ends up at Real alongside Mbappe. Ansu Fati's contract renewal talks have stalled as his agent wants a two-year contract and is rejecting the one billion pound buyout, one billion euro buyout that they are suggesting. Interesting. Interesting. He's they've got the option to extend his contract for two more years, so he won't be available on a free, but you might see someone test their will to keep him this summer. Um we have breaking news, boys and girls. England are set to play their next home game behind closed doors as a result of disorder at the Euros final in July. A second game ban is suspended for two years and the FA has also fined 100 grand. Uh, this I say breaking. It's breaking to me. It will be 24 hours ago to you. Um, good, good. The behaviour of the England fans at the Euro final was a disgrace. Somewhat understandable given, you know, it's been a long time since England were anyway useful and they hadn't gotten to a final since 66. But still, um, people need to learn to behave themselves a little bit better than that. Um, good. I'm glad to see that. Michael Edwards is a target for Real Madrid. No, he's not. Um, Tottenham Hotspur and Newcastle United are both interested in Dusan Vlahovic. Tottenham have been interested since the summer. Newcastle have been thrown in because they've got loads of money now. Aston Villa are monitoring Aaron Hickey. He's really good, really, really good, but I think he should stay with Bologna a few more years. Manchester United manager Oli Gunnar Solskjaer will not be sacked despite winning only four of eight Premier League matches this season. You know what? It's not even the four, the, the only winning four of eight games that is of a concern. It's the performances. They were poor against Wolves and should have lost. They were not good against Newcastle. And a draw probably would have been the fairer result. And they were awful against West Ham. They've played well in the Premier League once this season. Once. That's the bigger issue for United. Less so the results. The performances, even when they're winning, are awful. And what that means is that when you don't have moments of individual brilliance or goalkeeping errors for, by the opposition, you're not going to win games. Real Madrid will offer Eden Hazard plus money for Mo Salah. Why on earth would Liverpool want that? 
Uh, Salah's agent has flown to Liverpool for face-to-face talks about a new contract. Yeah, makes sense. Newcastle are in the picture for Erling Haaland. No, they're not. Newcastle have a planned budget of 50 million. I always see this, this type of stuff is always nonsense. There's no way the Saudi Arabian owners are telling anybody what the budget is. That's garbage. Um, Barcelona are planning a move for Raheem Sterling in January. I would guarantee they're not because they have no money. Barcelona want to sign Nemanja Matic. Somebody, somebody stop with that nonsense. No, they don't want Nemanja Matic. Like, I assume they've watched Nemanja Matic play in the last four years. The guy can't run. It's as simple as that. Uh, Manchester United have set aside 70 million for the next transfer window, which will be available as long as they feel they can sustain a genuine title challenge. That's garbage, is what that is. Uh, Luka Jovic has been chosen to replace Alex Lacazette at Arsenal. It may be. Jules Kunde has asked his agent to negotiate with Manchester United. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. Crap. Utter crap. These journalists that write this stuff need to be struck off. They're absolutely appalling. United have just signed... Varane, they have Maguire. They're not going to go and buy another £70 million centre-back. Let's be real about this. Former Arsenal midfielder Jack Wilshire has advised Declan Rice to reject Manchester United and Chelsea and stay at West Ham. That's interesting. Fair play to Jack, to Jack Wilshire for doing that. Um, what? Arsenal midfielder and Norway captain Martin Odegaard is open to the idea of returning to Real Sociedad, says former Gunners loan keeper Matt Ryan, now with Real Sociedad. What nonsense. is? Who prints this stuff? Seriously. Chelsea defender Antonio Rudiger wants 400 grand a week. I would wave him goodbye, slap a bow on his head and send him out the door. Robert Lewandowski says Manchester United is a Manchester City is the possible destination. Oh, sorry, his agent says it's a possible destination. He's just trying to get more money out of Bayern. Uh, former Barcelona defender Dani Alves has offered to rejoin the club on a low-cost deal. Don't do it, Barca. You already have Sergio Dest and Sergio Roberto. You don't need a right back. He can't offer you anything in midfield. Just don't do that. Liverpool have joined the race for Noah Lang alongside Arsenal Leeds. I, I doubt it, but he is talented. Chelsea may have to reverse the decision to send that Billy Gilmore out on loan after Canary's manager Daniel Farrak said we are not here to develop players for other clubs. Um, okay, but he has played quite a bit this season for Norwich. Now, I get that he's not in the team at the moment, but he wasn't playing well enough to earn a spot in the team. He can't just be in the team for the sake of being in the team. That would be ridiculous. Uh, we leave it there, folks. Champions League tonight, as you listen to this, Manchester City against Bruges at 5.45. Should be a good game in Bruges. Uh, City lost, obviously, last time out to PSG. Uh, Bruges look pretty decent this year, though, in the Champions League. So, so do keep an eye on that one. And then Liverpool versus Inter Milan at 8pm. Other games. Besiktas versus Sporting. That's also an early kickoff like the City one. Shakhtar versus Real Madrid. PSG against Leipzig. 
Inter Milan against Sheriff Tiraspol. Everybody's favourite surprise package so far. Ajax against Dortmund. That one should be good. And Porto against AC Milan should also be a good one. I will be back tomorrow. Uh, it will be a Wednesday Wednesday pod recording on a Wednesday rather than you know having to record this on a day ahead. But uh, apologies. Hope it was okay. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.